What is up, people? And thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I am your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. Of course, big story right now. Um, just hours breaking before we started this show. Maryland has decided to fire its head football coach, DJ Durkin, um, just a day after it decided to reinstate Durkin with the team. Of course, he was linked in a massive scandal and investigation regarding the death of a teenager who died of heat stroke during a workout in May. So we'll talk about what that decision uh, means for uh, for the school and, of course, really for college football as a whole. Also, the Boston Red Sox are the new World Series champs. We'll talk about uh, what this means for the Red Sox uh, moving forward and where this team ranks in amongst the recent World Series champions. Also, the New York Mets have a new general manager. Brody Van Wagenen was uh, introduced this week, but his connections and past uh, with – uh, with the players that are currently on the team and really the players around the league have some people raising eyebrows as to why the Mets decided to go this way. Also, I think you should consider this episode of the New Generation Sports Talk podcast kind of your trick-or-treat episode. We're going to play a lot of games on this show. So, of course, we have our typical um, who's flames and who's trash segment of the week. And, of course, we'll still have our football picks for the week. But we're also going to add two more um, games, so to speak, today. We're going to be playing... Panic or chill? Uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about some of the NBA teams and decide whether or not the teams that have gotten off to slow starch, is it time for them to panic or is it time for them to chill? So we'll do that. And we'll play buy or sell with <clears throat> some of the major NFL uh, trades and coaching changes. We have a, a, a coaching firing, the first one of the year. Is it the first one of the year, Kendall? It, Hugh Jackson's first one, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't know why when I said that also I thought maybe someone else got fired. But yeah. Their cutter was like people assumed would be the first guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think there were a lot of people who like kind of were like in that running and then uh Hugh he was kind of like the he was like he was like became like such like a runaway favorite. He was like the runaway favorite. But then like he almost came underdog cuz like everyone before the season assumed that he'd be the first to go. But then he ended up getting fired, and there were some massive trades. So we'll do buy or sell on those teams who made major moves this week. But again, Kendall joins me here for the show. Kendall, I know you're excited to do this show, and I'm excited to hear what you got this week for Kendall's uh, court. Yeah, man, you mentioned how the Red Sox won the World Series. Uh, and after the World Series, uh, the biggest storyline in baseball always turns to uh, the winter. And what will some of the bigger free agents in baseball do? So I'll break down the free agent landscape of uh, 2019 in Major League Baseball. Some huge names that will be on the market. Some Obviously some big market franchises that will be uh, bidding for these superstar players. Yeah, oh wow. Well, um, it's funny. I feel like the hot stove has kind of been, should be called, called the lukewarm stove. Or, or or the room temperature stove recently because I feel like the last few years there haven't really been massive the massive moves we've come to expect or a lot of them have come a lot later like they're coming in spring as opposed to winter uh, like JD Martinez and Stanton were like really late moves last year um, so I'm hoping that we don't have that kind of happen I, I the tradition has always been that like pretty much as soon as like the, the, latest you know january or late january the 
all everything just gets crazy with baseball. So I'm hoping that uh, that continues this year. So I'm excited to see what you got to say about the NBA, uh, MLB offseason. But before we get to that, let's again get back to the top story for today. That is the uh, Maryland firing head football coach DJ Durkin after a whirlwind 24 hours. The school announced it is parting ways with Durkin. The move comes after the school reinstated Durkin Tuesday following an investigation into the death of 19-year-old offensive lineman Jordan McNair, who died from heat stroke during a May workout. The decision was met with widespread outrage from students, players, the community, and even politicians. The United, the, excuse me, the university president said after speaking with the Student Government Association, which represented several groups, including deans and department chairs at the school, he decided to change his mind. Matt Canada remains the interim head coach at Maryland, who is five and three to start this season. Kendall, what do you make of this Maryland about face? Yeah, I mean, obviously we talked about the whole DJ Durkin controversy a while back. Um, but this decision to now fire Durkin after they decided to reinstate him, uh, I think two things from it. One, DJ Durkin, well, I'll start with this. When it comes to these universities, Maryland in particular, and not just Maryland, we've seen others in the past, Tennessee, not too long ago, the whole Greg Schiano thing, last offseason, these universities think that they can be slick and do things and make shady deals or, or bring in or bring back shady characters you know, as if people aren't going to be outraged or as if people aren't going to notice. But, like, what they have to understand is that in this era, you could have done that in the 90s. Probably mm-hmm. could have done it in the mid-2000s. And people would have... It, in the, it wasn't really a 24-hour new sports news cycle. You may have been able to get away with it. You may have had a little heat early on, but people would have moved on. But now in this social media era of people tweeting and there being hashtag don't bring back Durkin, hashtag Durkin's, uh, whatever, that, that stuff's not going to fly. And especially on a college campus with, where literally everyone, especially a major college campus like the University of Maryland College Park, everyone, every student is plugged in to social media. And, like, I mean, look, I go to a fairly major university, a high division one university, and... I know, like, while when it comes to Temple football, it's not a, they're not a national program in the slightest. So news doesn't travel nationally with Temple football. But what I do know is that things that happen with Temple football are very much discussed on the campus of Temple. For example, when uh, Matt Rule, who's now the coach at Baylor, left to go to Baylor, left Temple to go to Baylor. I didn't find out through ESPN, even though I check ESPN, you know, every every 10 minutes probably. I didn't find out through ESPN. I found out walking on campus and everyone literally panicking because the head coach was leaving to go to Baylor. Right. So, like, if you think that you can bring back DJ Durkin and that the students are just going to shrug their shoulders and be like, oh, who cares? Oh, well business as usual that's a major deal and this is a national story we're not talking about you know like some mid-major coach going to a new school we're talking about something that's this is like beyond sports at this point 
And so these universities think that they can do that in this day and age is foolish. Because uh, clearly Maryland thought, oh, we can bring him back and people will forget about it. That's obviously wasn't the case. And two, this is a little more uh, unfortunate, but clearly DJ Durkin isn't Urban Meyer. You know, like <laughs> DJ Durkin yeah. is a replaceable coach. I feel like if DJ Durkin were a Hall of Famer, if he had won something, if he had done something of note, if he had a, a top five recruiting class committed for next year, there'd be a much better chance that he'd still be the coach. But there's no there's no obvious upside to keeping DJ Durk. He's just a guy, did a decent job, you know, at Michigan and wherever else he's been, Stanford and Florida, wherever he's been. But now he's gone because he just doesn't have the cachet of Urban Meyer, who Urban Meyer also did some shady stuff, but they weren't going to get rid of Urban Meyer without a fight because he does have that top five recruiting class, and he is a Hall of Fame coach, and he has one national championship. So that's those are my two biggest takeaways from this. Thing. I think your takeaways are very profound and uh, right on the point, Kendall. Um, on your first takeaway, uh, I, it's rare I talk about professional wrestling on this show, but I feel like the comparison is apropos in this situation. Because if you if you are following wrestling, you'll follow with me very easily. But I'll try to make it my explanation brief. Um, the WWE, uh, the head, the guy who runs talent right now, Triple H, who's a you know legendary wrestler, um, has talked often about the idea that we are in the reality era, and that fans and supporters of the product know they kind of. They kind of can see through, like, the company BS. So it's harder for a company, for WWE in particular, to kind of shove anything down the consumer's throats that they don't like because they will make it well known that they don't like it. They will, like you said, tweet about it. They'll create social media campaigns about it. They'll show up to your show and boo you out the arena because they won't accept what you're doing to them. Whereas, like you said, in the 90s, five, even eight years ago, like, WWE, these universities, they could kind of just give the fans whatever they wanted, and you'd almost always just kind of, like, just be fine with it. Like, you know, that kind of was what it was. Like, yeah, you'd have, you know, your morning radio, uh, you know, show where guys would call in and complain about the coaching hire, but after that, like, you know, the, the, the fans didn't have the power to openly reject anything. <laughs> you know, like at the end of the day, whatever the plan was was the plan. Um, we're seeing that change in today in sports. Uh, we saw that with um, I'm gonna go back to an example probably nobody even thinks about when the Knicks hired Phil Jackson. People forget that Dolan hired Phil Jackson because there was about to be an Occupy Garden movement late in the season that year, where fans were gonna like march outside the garden or something like that. And in order to get this to kind of squelch the negativity around the Knicks at that time, Dolan went out and reached out to Phil Jackson and got him hired. Um, I mentioned WWE where there are plenty of examples of that. You mentioned Tennessee where, look, that some of that was led by that idiot Clay Travis. Um, but there were actually there, but there were fans who had real concerns about Greg Schiano based on unsubstantiated reporting regarding uh, his ties to Penn State during the Jerry Sandusky scandal. But regardless of whether or not they were right or wrong or it was started by a right-wing troll, it, it, it still had power. You know, it still showed that 
the people and the consumers of these entities are no longer just they're not they're no longer behind a glass window where they can't touch you <laughs> they, they 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 make their presence felt a lot more aggressively and they're a lot more effective in making and organizing to do it so as you said this was another example of an entity a university it's funny that in the two examples three of the two three of the four examples i named or two of the four examples i named two of them were universities but this is an example where the university thought that they could be untouched by just doing whatever they wanted uh, and that the fans would just take it and they would move on. And they saw very quickly that that was not going to be the case. So I think that you're extremely right on that point about this day and era kind of showing that fans, uh, supporters of a, of a team or, or organization or a, a university have way more power than they've ever had, I think, in the history of sports. Um, I, I do think you're absolutely right about Durkin. The fact that he was a, a mediocre coach in terms of results at the very least, it seems like he may have even been worse in terms of how he actually was handling these young men. Um, that obviously made him expendable, which is why he no longer has a job. But it also I, made, sorry, go ahead. It also made them, their decision to bring him back even more bizarre. Well, yeah, that's why you're that's really what, falling on the sword for DJ Durkin. Yeah, and that's what brings I mean, me to to that. And that this to me, this was an ugly episode to me for college sports. Um, it's an ugly episode because we talked about it earlier, and this I have an uneasy feeling about. The more and more we kind of learn, and there's more awareness about the way that the student athletes are being taken advantage of in major college sports. I get more frustrated and more annoyed at situations like this where uh, the head coaches who make millions and millions of dollars are completely coddled and protected uh, against pretty much all evil, um, uh, despite the evil they may commit. It's starting to become really—I mean, it's not like this is a new issue, but I think as our awareness of both sides, the sides of the fact that these players are extremely— uh, exploited and the side that these coaches are wilding in some cases um it's becoming really really alarming the idea that uh this man uh could have has at the very least at the very least set up a toxic environment where players were intimidated by coaches where players did not feel safe under coaches at the very least if you don't want to say he caused that young man's death the very least that's what happened and that's what happened there's no excuse for that guy being around kids and coaching at the high, at any level, let alone high D1 level. At the very least, that's the issue. But at the most, we he could be liable or could be in danger uh, uh, or, or responsible for what happened. Um, it speaks to me, honestly, to what we've seen. I said it before a couple of weeks ago when we talked about kind of just like the rule of law. How we uh, like places are just accepting corruption, like, and I think it it starts from what we see in Washington. I I just feel like these places just feel like they can just sweep stuff under the rug and like it'll be fine, like no one will care. And the I, when you see that happen on such a dangerous level, when they're talking about children again, um, children who are being exploited at regardless of whether or not they're also in danger. That just man, that that really that really uh, disappointed me to see Maryland 
do what they did this week. I'm happy they're getting crushed by everyone um, about it. And it's really unfortunate, too, because I felt like they really... It's like, I can't believe they bungled this so poorly, though, because Matt Canada did such a great job so far this year. They're 5-3. and three. They're on track to be bowl eligible. They've been a surprise this year. And, and you know Matt Canada very well. He's a kind of a young, up-and-coming coach. To see them somehow, like, screw this up, it speaks back to that idea of protecting the ones in power. And just that, like, innate, like, just, like, instinct that, well, if by the letter of the law, which is what apparently they seem to be going by, they said by recommendations and according to the investigation, we felt like he could be brought back. And it's like, because by the letter of the law to the T, that's why you think because he didn't actually murder this kid that you can bring him back as a head coach? Like, what happened to common sense? What happened to... Uh, you know, we we ain't, this isn't the court of law when you're dealing with you know whether or not I got to be a football coach. We're just talking about yeah. the well being of kids. Like and the idea that they went through a legal thing to kind of come to this conclusion that he should be brought back to coach kids. Yeah, like well, there's no lead like the lack of leadership from the head of the university is like just disgraceful to me that they can come yeah. to that conclusion. And what what's strange in this situation is look if you want to tell me from a, a Strictly legal perspective, DJ Durkin should be allowed to coach the University of Maryland football team. Fine, whatever. And if they feel like we can't fire him because he's gonna sue us for money, I mean, I mean, maybe you should fire him and give him his money. I don't know. That's that's up to you. Um, what I will say is, sometimes in these situations, you have to step back if you're a university and ask, can this guy effectively do the job? that we are paying him to do, we hired him to do, in the way he was before this scandal broke. And what I would say is, what what parent is going to let their kid sign a play under DJ Durkin now in this climate? I, I mean, I can't think of too many. I'm sure there would sure be a guy that would still go to Maryland because they're a high D1 school in the Big Ten. But... They're not going to recruit the way that they they should. Oh yeah, they're already at a disadvantage for not being in the conference that's supposed to be in the ACC. The Big Ten, the the a- Big Ten, and ACC schools would have ate them alive on the recruiting trail with that story. Like, they would have ran with that story and just killed them. And so, like, I would say that DJ Durkin can't effectively do the job as well as he should, and can't effectively probably can't effectively do the job in this climate right now, and that. They'd be better off with other people, like Matt Canada, like you mentioned, who's done a good job, who wasn't around when any of this stuff happened, so he has no baggage. So there's there's very little risk by keeping Matt Canada, like who, like I said, has already done a good job in DJ Durkin's absence. Yeah, it 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 it, it was it's mind boggling that it came to this, there that the fear of a lawsuit, the fear of. Uh, and like I said, I think, what I think is a kind of an innate, an innate instinct to protect those in power. Um, it's just sad. It, it, it's sad to me. Again, this when I saw this story yesterday, and then I see it even today. Even though he's gone, just the fact that the city, the the, the University of Maryland had to go through this embarrassing episode, where you had players uh, come out on record saying that they were heartbroken. 
uh, and, 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 and just mortified by the idea this man was being brought, brought back to be their head football coach. How, like, they didn't, if they did a real investigation, Kendall, you can't tell me they didn't know how these players felt about this man. That's, you know, it, it, assuming they say what they did, which was a real investigation, and that they, they looked at everything and felt like it was the right move, that means that they just flat out ignored those young men in that locker room and how they felt about this dude. Because they wanted to save money on a potential lawsuit, they wanted to save money on a potential firing, and they wanted to protect the head coach, the man in power. And that's a that's just a damn disgrace, as far as I'm concerned. Um, let's move on, Kendall. Let's get to some more positive stuff to talk about on today's show. Let's talk some baseball. We haven't talked baseball uh, as much on the show as I would like, but we got to talk about baseball because we have a new World Series champs. Uh, the Red Sox secured another World Series, Series title, beating the... Los Angeles Dodgers in five games. The series had its share of tense moments, but it seemed to turn on Dave Roberts' decision to take out Rich Hill late in game four in what looked like a case of miscommunication. That has been talked about uh, a lot, especially in Los Angeles, considering that they feel like it may have cost them the series. Even the president weighed in on that decision by uh, Roberts to take out Rich Hill, who was dealing in game four. 11-year vet Steve Pierce took home the World Series MVP. He was a massive uh, uh, a massive reason why they ended up winning that game four. And uh, and he was basically a one-man wrecking crew in game four and five. And he kind of ended up stealing that MVP to me, too, from, from David Price, who was also incredible in the World Series. Uh, the Red Sox beat two teams, the Yankees and the Astros, who were the defending champs, on their way to their title. Kendall, where, do this, where does this Red Sox team, you think, rank amongst recent World Series champions. Yeah, I mean, this Red Sox team is, I mean, they're one of the, they're, you can make the case they're the greatest Red Sox team of all time, mm. at least of the modern era. Um, given their regular season performance matched with their postseason dominance, um, I never at one point this this postseason felt like this team ever had their backs against the wall. Um, they felt they felt like they were always in control of every series they were in. Um, they always felt like they had the advantage from a talent perspective. Uh, Alex Cora did an excellent job as a very young manager. This is his first year, right? Yeah, it is his first year. Um, so you got to give a lot of credit to him. Because he came into a team with obviously a lot of talent, um, but not nearly the same amount of hype that the Yankees had coming in. Because obviously they had brought in Stan. But um, no, this is a team that I don't know if I would put them. They don't. They don't have the stories that some of these past teams have had. You know, obviously the Astros last year. Uh, you know, the Giants have had some very interesting uh, stories. Obviously, the Cubs and breaking their streak. They don't have that thing to remember them by, but they're just a really, they're just a great team, you know? Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they don't have the stories. The stories generally come from some sort of underdog type some, of... Yeah, some sort of, like, uh, some sort of uh, adversity. Yeah, some sort of adversity. The team felt none of it, <laughs> you know? You know, like, they've, I mean, they're a big market team that has a lot of talent, and they were dominant all year. Uh, but, yeah, I would say that this is one of the better teams we've seen in the last five years. 
on par, I'd say, with the Cubs team from a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, Kendall. To me, this is a this is a really special group. Um, you go through the World Series winners we've had. To me, this is the best team in two decades. Wow. Uh, if you just look at every single team that's won the World Series, they have the best record of the, all those teams. That includes the 09 Yankees. That includes the uh, the Cubbies you're talking about from a couple years ago. That includes last year's Astros. Um, but when you match not only the dominant in the uh, regular season that they had, where, again, they won 108 games, set a franchise record, but then you also include what was basically postseason dominance. I mean, they went up against very good teams in the postseason, especially in the American League section, and pretty much r- r- ran them guys out the, out the fi- off the field. I mean, they ran the Yankees off the field. They had a gentleman sweep of them. They did a gentleman sweep of the Astros, and they gentleman sweep the Dodgers to a World Series. You know, and I, for, I think there's a hesitation to kind of give this team that due, I don't know why that is, uh, to be honest. I, I really can't because, I mean, they have the superstar players. You got Betts and J.D. Martinez in the lineup. You got the rotation. You got David Price. Uh, you got Chris Sale. Kimbrell, he was kind of weird in the postseason, but we know he's a top-notch closer. I'm, I, I mean, if someone, you could find me a team that's been better. Than, I mean, the 98 Yankees are the team I look at. They won like 100, what, 114 games or whatever. I mean, that, that team was crazy. As someone who lived when no guys were playing, um, yeah, that team was the best team. That's probably the best team I've ever seen. So I would pause by saying they're better than them, especially because that team did show clutch uh, clutch gene and, and did fight through some adversity to show that they were worthy of, uh, of the position that they were in. But... I don't know, Kendall. To me, I look at what this team has accomplished, and I can't, I can't say that there are um, there is a better team that's played baseball in the last twenty years. They're one of, to me. They're one of the best. They're one of the best teams of all time. Uh, you know, and again, yeah. there's a hesitation maybe because there isn't. You don't look at a team and say, "Oh, look at all the Hall of Famers on this team." Like it's not easy to just like this team has nine Hall of Famers. Been written yet? Yeah, right. The, story has, the book isn't done. Right. I mean, Martinez and Mookie Betts are going to be playing forever. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, okay, Sale is kind of, we kind of know what he is. He's an all-star caliber, top-notch ace. We know Price, who he is. You know, this is kind of the, the back half, probably, of his prime, at the very least. Kimbrough's uh, probably, I mean, do you think Kerry Kimbrough's going to the Hall of Fame? Some, I think me, I don't know, I had a conversation with this with somebody. Yeah, you asked me before. Yeah, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he probably is. When you look at his stats, um, but yeah, I think because they don't Especially have. Especially now, I think we had this conversation. Like, if they win the World Series, uh, he's gonna get it. Yeah, now, yeah, now he's a World Series ring. So the the book is so written on a lot of these guys being tardy. You know, he being tendy. He's another guy who's been playing for a long time. So it's a little harder, I think, maybe to kind of take this team in a snapshot and kind of know what, kind of recognize what they have accomplished. But I'm willing to give them that due. I think that it's 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 important that we do. Uh, because I think what we saw was special. I mean, they did not. The playoffs are usually uh, we've seen in recent years. I mean, the World Series has just been just a dogfight. I mean, yeah, three yeah. of the last four World Series uh, were seven game series. 
So, <laughs> so we've seen like some classic World Series matchups recently, and this they were close matchups games. I don't want to say it was not competitive, but I mean the way the Red Sox dominated uh, the the American League playoffs and in the World Series, I, I I'm willing to say that they're they're the best team I've seen since the '98 Yankees. And that's that. That would be that's very lofty praise, but I'm willing to go there. And like you mentioned, man, this team is very young. Yeah, you know, like Betts, Bogarts, Jackie Bradley. You mentioned Benatendi. I mean, these guys aren't going anywhere. That's what's scary because I don't know. I mean, I I thought that the Astros would repeat, and I think the Astros are going to see them again next year. I don't think the Astros are going to take what happened this year, laying down. Uh, I think they they were kind of shell shocked at what they were seeing uh, when they realized the kind of talent that they were facing. That's a special group, and and the Yankees will show up too. I don't think next year it will be as easy, but this is if you're talking about a team and who can repeat and what their chances are. I mean, this is like a team that's tailor made to repeat. Yeah, you know everything's pretty much in place for them. So, uh, congrats to the Boston Red Sox. It's crazy to me. Look, I'm a New Yorker. I have no no beef with. Most Boston teams, uh, except for the Patriots and the Celtics, but like I don't really care about that's half. Yeah, that's half, I guess. <laughs> I, I I should hate the Bruins as like a Rangers fan, but like, I'm not like a diehard hockey fan, so I can't really get behind that rivalry as much. Um, and I don't really care about what's the other sport, I guess. Oh, baseball, right? I don't care about the Red Sox. I'm a Mets fan, so uh, we stole a World Series from them. So if they, if they win a bunch of them, they probably deserve it because. We get took we, we took one from them in '86, so you know I don't I don't feel the Boston rivalry as much as some other New York sports fans, but it is crazy how Boston has become like just like it's it is title town. You know we talk about who's title town in the U.S. I don't think that's even up for discussion anymore. I mean with what we've seen with the Red Sox and the Patriots, it's it's clear Boston is title town. Yeah, and as a New Yorker, that should make us all sick. <laughs> but um, again, we're both kind of North South New Yorkers, so it's kind of weird. But uh, let's stick with baseball, but let's move on to another topic, and let's talk about the New York Mets. So uh, the Metsies introduced their new general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, this week. The move is seen as a bit of an unorthodox decision. Uh, he spent many years as a sports agent for CAA. Uh, that's a massive sports agency. He's been a baseball um, a super agent, basically. He's represented several Mets players, including Johan Cespedes, Todd Frazier, Noah Syndergaard, and perhaps most importantly, Jacob DeGrom. And in a very weird situation that happened in the middle of the season, if you follow the Mets, uh, Van Wagenen actually, like, I think he said like a letter, I forgot what it was, but he made a comment about how he thought that the Mets should either trade Jacob DeGrom or sign him long-term during the summer. And it kind of put the Mets and DeGrom in a bind and kind of created a tenuous moment for the team in a city season that really wasn't very contentious they were very bad <laughs> pretty much after the first month it was over so it was kind of you know that ended up being a very stressful moment in terms of what was going to happen with DeGrom and his future when when Wagner made those comments uh but the COO Jeff Wilpon says that Van Wagner was the team's first choice at an introductory press conference he says uh Van Wagner says he's comfortable with the team's payroll which is a very touchy subject for Mets fans considering the Mets have hesitated to spend money on big time uh, free agents and, and, and take on money in big-time trades. Uh, he says he wants to win now and that the plan is to retain DeGrom long-term. Kendall, there are a lot of questions about the conflicts of interest that could be at play here. 
There are arbitration hearings set up this year once again for DeGrom, for Noah Syndergaard. He's a guy who represented these guys. It's talk that he's going to have to recuse himself from these arbitration hearings. But then just beyond that, I'm sure you being a sports management minor, a major, there's got to be some concern about this hire considering what's supposed to be kind of the relationship between player and agent and how that could maybe be compromised in this situation happening with the Mets. Yeah, so this I I when I had heard uh that uh you know Brody Van Wagner was in the uh was in the running for the job and was he was identified as the front runner. Um I mean, I thought this was exciting news for the Mets. Um you mentioned obviously his relationships with DeGrom and Cespedes, uh Syndergaard. Um that's obviously that obviously played a role in why he got the job. Um that tends to happen uh we saw it obviously most recently with Rob Palenka and the Lakers, obviously him being Kobe Bryant's agent and having a relationship with ownership in LA and GD bus, he ended up getting the general manager job. He on the other end, I don't believe was representing any Lakers at the time. It it wasn't none of his clients are Lakers now. Um, But he had to let go of all of his properties and he, wasn't allowed to obviously represent any more players in the league. Uh, the agency kind of fizzled out a little bit, but no, I mean, I don't think that, th- I think this is a good step. I mean, from my perspective, I think that I, I'm always supportive of agents getting general manager jobs and executive jobs. Arm telling, arm telling in the NBA also got, you know, I believe like a, almost an ownership stake in the Detroit Pistons. He, he's also like president of basketball basketball operations there, but um, for the Mets in particular, I think that this is, when you look at the pros, obviously, like you said, you wonder what you'll do with those players in particular and how he's going to take care of those guys at some point, particularly DeGrom, but there are obvious pros to having a super agent as your GM. We're talking about a guy that, one, has many connections around the league with a lot of players, and those players will now consider the Mets very highly on their list of teams to go to. But two, you know a guy that we ha- and you, you now have a GM that knows how to work the system. And while that sounds very shady, it is also a fact. He knows loopholes. He knows how to communicate with the guy's advisor, with the guy's family member during the season. He knows how to work with other agents to get deals lined up months in advance. I mean, there's there's endless there are an endless amount of positives that come with having that guy as your GM. The only negatives are that has he done the role before. But I mean we're out here giving ex players <laughs> uh GM and president of baseball operations jobs. Why can't an agent who's been actually on the business side of baseball for decades, probably now he can't, he can't run a franchise. Obviously it's a different perspective, but 
the guy knows baseball, he knows business, and he knows relationships, and those are the biggest things you need to be a GM. Yeah, I think the concerns I would have with this are more probably with the state of baseball than it is really the Mets and Van Wagenen. Um, there, there are obvious red flags that the guy that you've seen over and over again for the last several years, who's been very close to the organization through his relationship with the stars of the team, is a guy that you hire. It suggests, and there, you know, the idea was that the Mets did not want a GM who would rebuild and rebuild and, and you know and tear the team apart which is why someone like Ben Charrington who I think would have been universally applauded as the Mets hire was not seriously considered because he wanted to rebuild the Mets um there there's a concern there that someone like that is the guy that you get the job to it makes you wonder if there was really a a um an effort to try to uh really think outside the box in regards to an actual plan on the surface it looks like you're thinking outside the blocks because you're picking a guy who's an agent <laughs> to be your general manager so clearly you are in some regards but when you consider how close ties they were to the team already it kind of makes you wonder are they really thinking outside the box if they're closing themselves off to rebuild and closing themselves off to other people outside that you maybe haven't dealt with very closely um but so there's concerns there. But for Brody, look, I like everything he said, all the right things. I mean, I don't know how if you're a Met fan, you heard you watched that press conference and were disappointed. I mean, none of us want to see the Grom and Sendergaard go. I'm of the thinking that you have those two kind of top notch ace pitchers. I know Sendergaard needs to stay healthy. That's a huge issue with him. But you got those two kind of ace caliber guys. To me, the plan should not be to just rebuild. I don't think. Uh, clearly. They have a lot of issues with their lineup and their position players, everyday players that they got to figure out. And they, their farm system is a mess right now. But I, I still think that you need to give that a real chance before you just decide to, to give it up completely. Because uh, baseball is a weird sport where you get the right mix, mix of guys and you can see yourself in the playoffs or in the World Series next year. So I liked everything I heard. He sounded like a guy who was willing to spend money. He sounded like a guy who did not want to get rid of the Grom. Um, and he sounded like a guy that really was thinking about the organization from the ground up in regards to kind of building infrastructure. My concerns about Major League Baseball, though, do lie with the precedent of putting an agent in this kind of position. Because while I don't think there's any—I think we've kind of seen with Bob Myers and Palinka in the NBA that these guys, they know the job enough to where they, they, should, they, should, they should be given a shot at least. And I'm excited about Van Wagenen's— uh, relationships he's going to have with other teams because they've dealt with him in the past and what that can mean for the net Mets in regards to trades and other things like that and his knowledge of other players considering he's worked for a sports agency but that's kind of where I'm going with my concerns for baseball in that it, you know it's, al- it's almost like to me like almost like inside of trading when you hire a guy like that you know it's you know this is a guy who's going to know uh confidential information even about some guys that are on other teams uh some guys What's wrong are on with the- that I mean, look, for the Mets, I'm perfectly fine. If I'm the Players Association, I would be, and it sounds like Tony Clark is outraged that this is happening because it kind of betrays the trust that you're supposed to have between the player and the agent. And I think that is concerning. I don't know what you really... And that's an interesting... I, I, I did not look at it from that angle. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But at the same time, I feel like you can't... If the guy gets out of his contract... Now, the players can sue and be like, I, you know, I you, you have to do your job. But that's a losing battle from their perspective. But if the guy gets out of his contract, you can't tell him he can't do a job. Well, yeah, a guy can quit a job. Like, that's what Van Wagen is doing. He's quitting his exactly. job. But when that job is then... I don't know what they can do about it. That's the thing. Is I don't know. And if this works, then I think this is going to be an issue. I think there are going to be a lot of agents. Not a lot, because I think depending on where what who yeah. you have, the, the money may be better as an agent. But um, there also, will be some I, guys who then decide, oh, well, let me make that jump. And then how many other players and their value and their information that they thought was going to not be uh, in the in the hands of, uh, of, of league executives will be because this agent who knows everything about them is – now running the Red Sox or running some other and team. There aren't, and we talked about this in the NBA, there are very few, like the Rob Polinka thing isn't going to, was not was never going to start a floodgate for agents to, to start running the NBA. Really, the Rob Polinka thing didn't affect the Lakers that much. Like, no, nothing tangible. I think there were things that happened. I think they got LeBron probably very much in part because they hired Rob Polinka indirectly but i don't think that it's like oh yeah like there were there was a package deal i don't think rob Polinka promised him three players like i don't i i literally think they just hired him because they thought he was a good fit for the job mm-hmm. um but like we talked about this when lebron was free agent that if you if we were an nba team that was recruiting lebron we had a vacant job GM spot. I think we were talking about the Sixers in this point. Uh, at this point in the season, we would we would have looked at Rich Paul to be our GM. Now that would have been uh, it would have been a ridiculous hire from a basketball perspective. But if Rich Paul guarantees you getting LeBron James, then maybe you have to make that consideration. And so that's where the the slippery slope gray area comes in, where it's like. I don't know if this is probably the right practice. If we're hiring general managers, it's almost as if it's almost like in college sports where it's like, I'm going to hire this assistant coach because he promises a recruit or I'm going to hire this head coach because he promises a recruit. Mm-hmm. And is that really the way you want to go about your business? So that's that I see that conflict there. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's going to be, this is going to be a very fun experience. Well, I hope it's fun as a Mets fan. I think for people outside, it'll be very fun, regardless of what happens. Because um, I think this is, pro- to me, this is probably the most, like, like flagrant, like, wow, that's a really crazy thing to do, like, aging the GM move that we've seen. Uh, Myers, I forgot when Myers was hired, but I want to say when Myers was hired, like, the the team in Golden State was kind of already built. No, you know, so it wasn't. You know, I know they they, they ended up drafting Draymond Green, and they did some other moves. But I feel like with this, it's a lot more of a radical thing because uh, he's coming in to a team that's in complete and utter chaos. You could argue. Um, I think the other thing with Myers that made it different was Myers was uh, the assistant GM before he got promoted, so he was with the organization for a while before he then eventually became. Uh, the general manager, though it was only for a year. So uh, that was a, a major difference. But this is different because this is a team that is a major market, 
everyone kind of has their eyes on them as a dumpster fire and they needed to do something bold and boy did they really do something outside of the off the beaten path so well we'll see what happens i i'm i'm excited though i'll be honest i'm excited i think that uh there's a chance that brody could be excellent at the job um, but there is just the unknown and for a team that i think and a fan base i was looking for comfort they're not going to get that with this hire i don't think any method could look that look at this and know for sure that they can feel confident moving forward because they have someone brand new at the job first time i believe anyone in baseball is making this jump so uh we'll see what happens but i think that uh the conversation about agents and gm agents become the gms and what that means for player confidentiality and player trust in agents i think is something that's going to be important to follow okay kendall as i said this is our trick-or-treat edition of new generation sports talk so let's get to that part of the show we're going to play some games today and today we're going to start off with the first one we're going to play nba panic or chill so basically kendall i'm going to give you a bunch of teams that had high expectations to start the season but have gone off to very slow starts and you're going to tell me is it time for them to panic or is it time for them to chill so let's start with the Los Angeles Lakers, who are starting the season 2-5 and five after their loss against the Minnesota Timberwolves, in which Jimmy Butler took over the game. LeBron James said after that his team and the local LA media, quote, didn't want to see him see what it's like when he runs his, when his patience runs out in regards to these early losses that the Lakers have been racking up. Kendall, is it time for the Lakers to panic or is it time for them to chill? Well, it depends. I mean, look, I tried to tell people before the season the Lakers weren't going to be that great, that if they made it to the playoffs, it'd be virtually a success. And so, I mean, two and five is pretty much where I would have pegged them to be at this point. Uh, so I would say you can chill for now. If they're at the all-star break and they're one of the worst teams in the league still, then I would say, yeah, it's time to panic. But, I mean, this is not a great team. Uh, it's a transition period for LeBron. It's a transition period for Luke Walton and then everyone on the roster. Um, and then, then, like I said, on top of that, they're not that talented. So, no, yeah, two and five, pretty much where they should be. Uh, at some point, you have to turn it up, but I don't expect them to be much better than they are now right now. I wouldn't have expected them to be much better than where they are right now anyway. Um, I'm going to say it's time. It, they should chill. I'm going to say this is true. I think that uh, as we've seen with LeBron and these moves, with almost every single one, they've come with growing pains to start. And the Lakers are going through it. We also have to take into consideration they did have suspensions uh, involved as well. So chemistry, that certainly wasn't going to be helped with two starters being out of the lineup for several games. So I think that I think that. I was kind of surprised, honestly, when LeBron said that. You know, LeBron wants to win. He's very competitive uh, in that regard. Maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised. But for someone who I do think kind of looks at the big picture, I was kind of surprised that he he, he showed such frustration uh, this early in the season. When I think his team, I think they're playing pretty well. And maybe I'm crazy to say that, but they had a really tough schedule to start this year. And they've competed in every game. They haven't been blown out in any of these games. They could have won all of them. So, uh, you know, to, to go crazy because you're 2-5, and five, I, I thought that that was a little weird. But maybe I think this is maybe trying to send a message to his guys that 
playing well is not just enough. They need to actually start racking up some wins. Laker fans, you guys can chill. I think that things will be okay. Let's go to the Houston Rockets, Kendall, uh, who uh, are 1-5 to start the year. Mike D'Antoni says the Rockets have lost their swagger. The team's defensive rating has plummeted from 7th last year to 24th heading in tonight. Uh, Kendall, should Houston panic or is it time for them to just chill out? Yeah, the Houston Rockets should panic, EJ. Um, they just—they look like they're in some serious trouble. Uh, this is not a team that I said would be bad before the year. Picked them to win the Western Conference. So, yeah, it's about that time to panic. Um, what that move, what that panic move is, because they need to change. One, the one thing I think people are forgetting about this roster, or about not really the roster, but about the team, uh, that's different from last year. Jeff Bidzelik is not mm. on the staff anymore. It's a very Remember, good point. Their defensive coordinator, he was D'Antoni's defensive mastermind, not on the not on the staff this year. Decided to retire last minute, and the team's defense and offense, but also defense, is falling apart this year. So that can't be forgotten. But there are some roster issues with this team, and if they can, you have to go out and get Jimmy Butler. Or Anthony Davis. Well, you might as well go out and trade Clint Capella a couple first-round picks for Anthony Davis while you're at it. That's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, man. The, 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 when, when I heard people throwing out, oh, why don't, why don't the, the Rockets just go out and get Anthony Davis? Why like, you got to be kidding. Because, Kendall, sometimes people lack critical thinking. <laughs> like, to me, like, you know, let's let's play that out. So, there, there have been several people who have gone on the record with this whole Jimmy Butler thing that we talked about last week that the Rockets were offering four first-round picks. Somehow the Timberwolves haven't pressed yes already on the on the on the on the text message saying yes we'll do this. I don't know how that deal hasn't been done yet, but um, but some people say, well, why haven't they just taken those picks and went to New Orleans to try to get New Orleans get Anthony Davis? But Kendall, when you ask a question like that, not you, but I'm saying people who have been saying that it shows a lack of critical thinking. Because all you have to do is think one step ahead beyond that. So, okay, well, what would happen if I did that? Well, I'd be getting four first-round picks. That sounds good. But what happens to New Orleans, what happens, excuse me, to Houston when they get Anthony Davis? Oh, Anthony Davis plus Chris Paul plus (laughs) James Harden means they'll probably be the best team in the West, if not this year, then the next three or four years after this year. Um, Oh, so that means those first-round picks end up being the 29th, 28th, 30th pick in the draft every single year. And I would have Clint Capella and basically the last pick in the first round for the next four or five years. Exactly. That, that That's not a good trade. That well, would be Clint Capella and probably, four, and probably four marginal players. It's rare you get a guy who's the last pick in the first round. That guy's a superstar. So you, that's Capella and four marginal players. And... and- and if you critically think even harder than that, EJ, if you offer that to the to the Pelicans, any good GM, and I wouldn't say Dell Demps is a good GM, but oh, I know they, Davis Davis Stern would definitely wouldn't say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Davis Stern would, would go out and say he's a trash GM. But <laughs> Dell Demps, any any normal GM like Dell Demps would come out and be like, "All right, to every team in the league, this is what the Rockets are offering. If we're willing to accept this offer." We'll put that offer on the table and see what everyone else has to match. And I can guarantee you, seventy-five percent of the league can beat Clint Capella in four late first-round picks. 
Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Anthony Davis, there was a free-for-all sweepstakes. Um, Houston would not be the first team that New Orleans would be calling about making a deal. And no four first-round picks that are going to be at the end of the draft and Clint Capella are going to make that deal done. So, yes, that was very dumb. People keep saying that. They need to stop bringing that up. That makes no sense. This is not NBA 2K. This is the real NBA. And you need to actually think beyond just the surface to think of why teams would do any deal. Anyway, uh, in my opinion about the Rockets, <sighs> this is a tricky one. Um, I'm going to agree with you and say it's time to kind of panic. Panic is such a strong word, but but I think it is because I think it's the expectations. Like with the Lakers, I think the expectation should have been that they start slow. Uh, so I don't think they should be panicking that they're starting slow. The Rockets, I think the expectation is they were going to dominate like they did last year, and they're not. And if it was the same team last year, I, maybe I wouldn't. I would say don't panic. But because they made radical changes to me, uh, it is time to panic because this team looks completely different than last year. They don't play. They like even just the makeup and how they play is just not the same. Um, that Kamal Anthony thing looks like it's not going to go well. I hope for his sake that they figure out a way to make it work. Otherwise, his off-season free agency is going to be very interesting um, next summer if this is how this is going to be all year. Their defense is bad. I think the Bizdelic thing is a great point that no one's mentioning. I'm glad you really brought that up. I even forgot about Bizdelic and, and, and what that means perhaps for their defensive woes. But I think the concern has got to be that, look, this is a team that, that looks at themselves and says, we are the team that can beat the Warriors. If that is what you're telling you, me and telling everyone in the league, then one in five is not getting it done. I don't care that it's the first week of the season. That's abysmal. So from the Rockets, and I look at how they're playing, how they're playing defense, how uh, how that fun offense that they created last year just looks nothing like it did um, to start the season. I got to say, Kendall, I agree. I think that it is time for them to panic. Let's talk about the Washington Wizards, Kendall. They started the season 1-6. and six. They just capped off a 1-4 and four road trip with another embarrassing loss to the Memphis Grizzlies. This is another team that's defense has completely fallen apart. They gave up 144 points to the Warriors last week. We talked about that when I said that you know Steph Curry was flames with putting 51 on them in three quarters. More on the Warriors later in the show. Um... They also gave up 136 points to the Clippers on Saturday. So, Kendall, a breakup could be looming in Washington. Is it time for them to panic, or should they chill? Uh, I mean, Washington can do whatever they want. Man. They're not winning anything. If they thought they were going to win something, I guess they should start panicking. If they, if, if they have the, the right mindset, I, I guess in this context, we're saying panic. Should they break it up? Then, yes. Uh, I would... I would explore doing a trade. Again, I don't. It's tough for me to look at these things from Washington's perspective because, you know, I'm a Celtics fan and I really I can care less what Washington does. But would I like to, as a basketball fan, would I like to see Bradley Beal on another team or John Wall on another team? Yes, because there's nothing that's ever going to happen with that Washington Wizards team that's positive at this point in the next couple of years. That that nucleus is uh. They, they've ran its course, um, and I'd like to see what those guys could do on other franchises. Ken, they're giving up 122 points a game. Even in yeah. this 
even in this speedball era we have, that's like grotesque. 122 points. Um, their average margin right now, the deficit, the average def, uh, uh, margin of win loss, you know, the, the difference in these games has been uh, minus 10 for the Wizards, 10.6. All that being said, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to say they should chill. I'm going to say they should chill because the Eastern Conference has proven to be what I thought it was going to be, which is uh, the Raptors and the Celtics and a mishmash. Now, the Bucks seem like they have definitely advanced beyond that mismatch, which I thought could happen. Me and you both thought could happen. You thought it definitely would happen. I thought it was possible. So, the Eastern Conference is what I thought it was. It's, a bu- it's those three teams and a bunch of middling teams in there. I think Indiana will separate themselves, too. But after that, after the first four teams, I think that this is just free-for-all. Um... And with that being said, even with this terrible start, there's still only two games back of the A spot at one and six. So, again, matching expectations with where they're at. To me, I expected this team to be the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs. I think that's still very attainable despite what I've seen. So, I'm going to say they should chill. You know, they had a very weird, long road trip to start the season. I feel like that doesn't happen that often. I could be wrong, but I just don't know a team that goes on a five-game road trip to start the year. That's kind of a tough way to start, especially considering they're still kind of getting used to this very early schedule. Uh, this is around the time where the season actually will be beginning, not uh, you know the basically the third week of the season at this point. So I think Washington should chill. There are reasons to be definitely concerned. The defense you would hope would get better, and Dwight Howard comes in. I don't know how that's going to affect their chemistry, though. But I just think that. With the Eastern Conference being as bad as it is, I would want to at least play this out until, like, December, uh, the end of the year, before I really decide that I'm just pulling the plug on this completely for this season. Uh, and I want to do one more. Kind of, I want to do the, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, they start the year 0-4. This is actually the team that is kind of on the rise, you would say, maybe, because they won their last two games, albeit I don't think that they were uh, that impressive, really, in the game against the Suns. They did play well against the Clippers, or Westbrook is always hyped, and the team's always hyped when they play against uh, Patrick Beverly. So and maybe that was the spark that they needed. Nevertheless, they did start 0-4, Kendall. So are the Clippers, excuse me, are the Thunder a team that should be in chill mode or panic mode? The Thunder? Uh, I, I mean, like you said, they've won two straight, so I wouldn't say complete panic, but at the same time, if things keep going the way they've gone this season, Billy Donovan should be the one that's panicking because he's going to be out of the job very shortly if they don't completely turn this thing around. Um, but again, the Thunder team, I don't believe if I had them in the playoffs, I had them very low. Uh, I think I might have them like, like a seven seed or something. So, I mean, my expectations for Oklahoma City weren't that high to begin with. But with that being said, I think Billy Donovan uh, should be the one panicking because. I think his seat is very, very warm right now. And I don't think he's the the man for the job, if I'm being honest. There's another team that's defense has been alarmingly bad. Uh, they don't have Carmelo Anthony to blame for their defense being as bad as it's been so far. Um, I'm going to say they should chill. But I think that they're, I actually feel worse about them than I do the 
Wizards, and it's actually kind of because of what I said about the conferences. Um, the Wizards, I feel like, can easily make up the ground right now in the East. As bad as they look, I still think that when they get at home, they're a team that is they're weird emotionally. I, I don't want to go crazy over very bad high, very great highs and very bad lows so early to start the year. Um, with the Thunder, though, am I crazy to be a little worried about Paul George, Kendall? Because I know he played well last night, but um, and he's starting to play better, but his shooting has still been very shaky over the course of the entire season. Um, and I'm starting to wonder, in terms of his offensive efficiency, what he is as a player now. That's not good for a guy who just got a lot of money and is supposed to be staying long-term in Oklahoma City. And I'm starting to get a little concerned about Westbrook and his health. You know, he missed time this year to start the season. Uh, he's come back, and he's been basically the same rust that you would expect. But you kind of start to hope and get a wonder and kind of get worried about can he continue to rev it up the way he does over the course of 82 games from year to year. Um, not panning mode completely, but I think there's a little concern. Uh, if this is this team is not a team that should be starting 0-4. And I know Westbrook missed two of those games, but they shouldn't be 0-4 with Westbrook playing two games. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that they should they should be okay, um, but I, I'm a little concerned. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see where your I see where your concerns are. Uh, if they're trying to win a championship, I'd be concerned too. Yeah, because this is a team that they they're kind of like the Rockets. Like they feel like you know, I think they kind of feel like with Melo gone, like, okay, now we can really show like what we're capable of and, and building a team that's, you know, all for one and one for all and kind of fits what the roster and the style of play fits how the roster is molded. Like I said, those Melo excuses are gone. I don't want to see this team at two and four to start the year and they're supposed to be a team that's one of the uh, standard bearers in the West. I think that that's a, that, that was a little concerning to me that they started so bad, but they did win two in a row. So and Paul George shot the ball a lot better in the last two or three games because he started the year miserably, um, and he shot the ball terribly to end the year too. So that's why there was concern for me going from the way he ended last year to the way he started this year. He can get back on track. Russ can stay healthy. I expect him still to be one of the top five teams in the West. But um, but they the West is one of those teams where you can't really like the West is one of those things where you can't like chill too long playing mediocre ball because it's rare you'll have a team like the Blazers last year that just rev off a bunch of wins and sneak their way into like the top three teams that doesn't happen very often in the west uh the the competition actually was so tough last year that the win total for the third seed didn't become that high so that even though the Blazers were middling for most of the year they were able to just fly out of the gate around the all-star break and they were so much better than everyone else that they were able to just go past everybody who beaten the hell out of each other. But in most years, you can't play mediocre basketball and then think you're going to get hot and then get a good spot in the West. That usually ends you up with a first round date with the Warriors in a in a in a in a four game sweep. So if the Thunder want to play past April or the fast first week in May, I think they want to get this turned around quickly. But if there's a team that can do it, I think they're the ones who can. Okay, Ken, let's also play uh, buy or sell with the NFL. So let's talk about some of these uh, big moves that we had this week. 
starting with Demarius Thomas, who, uh, and what I thought was kind of a surprising move, he got traded to the Houston Texans, who desperately needed um, receiver help after Fuller tore his ACL. So, Kendall, do you buy or sell the Texans uh, acquiring Demarius Thomas? Uh, I'd buy the Demarius Thomas acquisition. Um, what they give him a fourth round? Yeah. Pick? Fourth round pick for Demarius Thomas. Um, you know, I'm not one of these people that some people have come out and started killing the Cowboys, saying, "Oh, you gave him a first round for Marty Cooper," but he's 24. He's got Golden Tate and Demarius Thomas are 30 years old. So I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I don't care about. Oh, they gave him the first round. Huh? You know. With that being said. Demarius Thomas can still play. Um, you lose Will Fuller. Now you still now you have New Hopkins and Demarius Thomas in your wide receiving core. I, I I'm I'm gonna buy it for the Houston Texans. I'm gonna buy this as well. Um, I told you, man. I told you that you were surprised when I picked the Texans to win this division, and I'm looking. Re- I was looking really good before Fuller went down. Um, last week, they they really started to play good ball, and I was very you know disappointed that Fuller got hurt. But now that you added Demarius Thomas, uh, in some ways he can be similar. You know, uh, I think this is the first time he's going to have a quarterback that can really since Peyton. But even Peyton really couldn't stretch the field the way he used to because of the uh, you know the old age, the lack of arm strength. He's going to have a quarterback now that can get him the rock. In, in, in those deep balls, potentially. So I think that Demarius Thomas could be in for maybe a mini resurgence playing uh, playing with uh, with a guy like New Hopkins opposite, with a guy like Watson at quarterback. I agree with you, Ken. I, think the f- I don't think that it's fair to compare Omari Cooper and Thomas. Um, Thomas is definitely on the decline. I mean, that's... Even though I think he still has game, I, I think that's obvious. I mean, you look at the numbers he's putting up five years ago and what he's done the last two years. He's clearly on the decline. And while Cooper's had a miserable year, he's on a terrible team and he's very young. There's no reason to believe he's on the decline. He just hasn't produced the way he's accustomed to. So I think that uh, so I think it's unfair to compare. But I think with the Texans, you needed a real replacement. I think that Thomas was a was a great one. So I I, I definitely two thumbs up for the Texans on this move. Maybe saving my pick for the AFC South champions. Um, let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, who acquired uh, Golden Tate. Golden Tate brings uh, a guy. They bring in a guy who also has a Super Bowl pedigree. So, Kendall, do you buy or sell the Eagles trading for Golden Tate? Yeah, I mean it's a nice addition for the Eagles. Obviously, the team's got better, but I don't think this really moves the needle for this team. Um, the Eagles are in kind of a rough spot right now. Uh, it's good to get another weapon, but I don't think their weakness was they didn't have enough weapons offensively. Uh, so that's why I'm gonna sell this move for Philly. What do you think? What do you think is their issue? I mean, I feel like this team. There are a lot of issues with this team. Um, I feel like one, the running game, I think, could be a little better, which I don't think Golden Tate helps in that department. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why they've tried to go out and get someone like LaShawn McCoy to no avail. Um, and then, I don't know, I feel like uh, they're not getting the same type of pass rush that you would have liked or that they, we saw from last year. But, no, nah, I don't know. I feel like Golden Tate, again, makes them a better team, but 
I don't know if it was, uh, I don't know if it's worth it, you know, considering they have the Ertz, Jeffrey, Aguilar, they have weapons. I see what you're saying. Um, the fit is a little weird. I kind of look at Tate as a slot guy, and Aguilar kind of plays that spot. So, and then you got Ertz. So, where are they going to play Tate? I don't really, <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, really, or what their plan is with that. But I'm still going to buy it, Kendall, because I, I like what Tate brings to the table. This is a team that's played very complacent. Am I wrong about that? It's been very obvious to me. Yeah. This is a team that's played complacent all year. And the city of Philadelphia is kind of letting them get away with it right now because of that Super Bowl. But their patience will run out very soon, if not. And trust me, the East was much better. It would be gone. I think the fact that the East is still very much tight is why the fans have kind of let them go for this. But this is a team that's played very complacent, maybe with the exception of Zach Ertz. And if there's anything that I would ever describe Golden Tate, it is not complacent. He's an intense gamer football. He's a football player's football player to me. He's the kind of guy I want in my locker room. He's the kind of guy I want playing cold games in Green Bay and cold games uh, in the playoffs. I just like what he, he potentially could bring to a team that desperately, I think, needs a jolt. I think he's the kind of he has the kind of mindset and the kind of attitude that this team could use right now. They need that little dog in them. And Golden Tate kind of being that undersized overlooked uh, uh, receiver. I think that he kind of could bring the, an energy maybe they didn't have. And uh, and some of these guys that haven't been producing the way that we have accustomed them to seeing them in recent years, uh, maybe we see those guys, you know, targets kind of drop. You know, maybe we don't see Aguilar see as many balls as he's been seeing the last uh, this season. Maybe Golden Tate is now the guy in that spot. Ask what happened to Aguilar. Maybe he's just not really in the rotation as much as he's been. Um, or maybe someone like Alshon Jeffrey uh, starts seeing less balls because um, he hasn't really made the impact I think that they hoped he would have made coming off injury. So I'm for Golden Tate. The fit is weird, but I think they'll figure it out. And he's a guy that I think comes in uh, already, won a, already won a Super Bowl. I think wants to be the difference in winning another one. I think that he's a good fit in that regard, in terms of the uh, personality in the locker room. Okay, last one, Kendall. Going from trades to coaching changes, Hugh Jackson officially gone as Browns head coach. Shockingly enough, Greg Williams has somehow finagled his way into being the head coach of an (laughs) NFL team. Man, I tell you what, it's rare I do promo for any other show, and I'm not calling this, I don't want to call this promo necessarily, but uh, High Noon talking about Greg Williams being the head coach of a football team, let alone Cleveland Browns, was one of the funniest things I've seen on television in regards to sports in a long time. Bomani and Bomani and 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 Pablo killed that joint. But uh, but Kendall, what do you make of Hugh Jackson and also uh, Todd Haley? Both of them out of a job now in Cleveland. What do you make of this? Do you buy or sell? Uh. Before I before I, I buy or sell, give a shout out to you, Jackson, who obviously it's been a rough year for him. Um Yes. But uh you know, he's he, he survived. Uh you know, that 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 you know, Ohio, you know, black coach curse 
finally been broken. <laughs> you know, Marvin he, he Lewis didn't, is, he didn't survive it. His you know, Marvin Lewis is still kicking around. Yeah, exactly. He, he benefited from still, it for years. Yeah, he Marvin Lewis still got a job, but you know, he couldn't he couldn't outlast his uh his mentor. Uh but with that being said, uh I understand the decision. It does scream incompetent when you fire your coach and your offensive coordinator who went on sixteen last year. They've been better this year and you fire them this early in the season. It does scream incompetence from Jimmy Adams' point. Uh but at the same time, it's not I'm not gonna go to bat for Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. I mean I don't know why Greg Williams got a job, to be honest. I mean, it's like two of the three Stooges lost their job, and the third guy was allowed to keep his job. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, I have more of a problem with Greg Williams having the head coaching job than I do with those guys losing their jobs because Greg Williams is a, uh, is a uh, by all accounts. Don't get fired. Don't get fired. Not, 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 the, <laughs> not the nicest coach. In, in football, but um, with that being with that being said, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have found someone very low level. I would have gone with the special teams coach, <laughs> special teams coordinator. If I wasn't gonna go with Haley or Hugh Jackson, that yeah, situation. man. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this uh, in terms of Hugh Jackson being fired. I know, I know what you're saying in regards to it speaks to incompetence that somehow the guy was 0-16 and lost like 30-something games in a row, and now you decide to fire him. Like, it, we, we like when you get to a certain point, like, after you do that, like, you kind of could be fired for anything. Like, he could have, you know, he could have, like, you know, stepped on some gum. And they were like, you know what, just get out. <laughs> like, like I don't know what happened, but something could have happened in the office. Something could have happened where they were just like, no, enough. Like, just go. We, we've had enough of you. Um, to me, with Hugh... I think that the issue was this is a team that I think show, has shown this year that they have some talent. Uh, their defense has played exceptionally well, which is why I think Greg Williams is somehow a head coach in the NFL again. Um, but the lack of offensive uh, improvement, really, I think is why Hugh Jackson is gone. Is that people look – the Browns maybe has them looking, you know uh, – Maybe it's not. It's maybe it's not realistic. But I think he looks at the team and looks at the division and is like, if we had a real, we had a real head coach, we could be in first place. It's not that outrageous when you look at the schedule and look at some of the games they've lost that they should have won, like against Oakland, and look at their offense and how it's falling apart the last three weeks. And it's not. It's not a crazy thing to think, you know. So. I think that the lack of offensive improvement, and I think that the fear of a, a, a player the caliber of a Blaker, Baker Mayfield and him being developed by someone like Hugh Jackson was something that they could not allow. And I get that. Why they didn't know that before, I don't know. But, again, once when Hugh Jackson has kind of done what they've he's done with that team, I think you kind of could be fired for anything. So... Two four and one. That's not a good start. They look terrible because the Steelers this week. Yeah, I'm fine with them letting him go. Uh, I I'm, I agree. I think the Greg Williams thing is a little weird. This guy literally was like almost banned from the league <laughs> for like trying On to, multiple occasions. For, yeah, for trying to like purposely injure injure opponents. 
in a league in a, an era where we're trying to talk about player safety and he's being rewarded with a head coaching job. Uh, as when Wayne Jones say, he looks like he came out of witness protection because he looks totally different than, than, than Greg Williams as coaching defense for the Saints. Um, but I, I, no one can deny, deny that defense is awesome for the front of Browns. So uh, their, their turnover ratio is crazy this year. Like they've played, they've balled out on that side of the ball. And I don't think anyone deny that Greg Williams can coach defense. It's about being the face of the franchise. But yeah, that I guy. Be out of a job, just yeah, just continue to coach. The, yeah, just continue to coach the defense. <laughs> you don't need to do anything more. Uh, make, the, make the. I mean, I know this is in college football. Make the recruiting coordinator the head coach for all you want. Yeah, like I, I yeah, you care. need to just make some other guy the head coach. Make the running back coach the the, the head coach. Yeah, the, the Greg Williams. Coach. Greg Williams can't be the dude that then becomes the head coach in the situation. So the Browns, even they do the right thing. Seem like they do did the wrong thing because the one thing is there's no way Greg Williams is retaining this job, so that's why it's even more weird. I mean, right? Like there's no way. Unlike, it seems unlikely, but we've seen crazier things happen with interim <laughs> coaches. I mean, you're right, but like if they, if they win seven games, are you going to fire him? I mean, yeah, I'm firing Greg Williams. <laughs> yes, I'm I firing Greg Williams. He would have the job in my in my world, but do you think Jimmy Haslam's going to fire him? If they win seven games, I mean that means they would have finished what five and. Five and four? Five and five? Something like that, yeah. Not, five five and five, five right? Or five and four, yeah, because they have one tie. Yeah, that's not enough to keep your job. I think, I, I think that, you while, yes, that's a massive improvement over the That means Baker guy. Mayfield's balling if they win five more games. But that has nothing to do with Greg Williams. Exactly. <laughs> he, I mean, he's the, he's, he's the defensive coach. He's the defensive guy. Like, my argument would be, okay, can you, like, re- Come back to coach the defense, and then maybe I promote the offensive coordinator, whoever that is, because Todd Haley's going to <laughs> for him as a head coach or bring in a new offensive guru and say, like, with a real offensive coach, I can really do some things. But I don't know. I don't think that. I mean, they would have to. Look, they have. They would have to look at the eighty-six Bears, eighty-five Bears, for me to bring back to make Greg Williams a head football coach in the NFL. Like that. Like I like all like like props to him for getting them to play that way. Props to him. For resurrecting his career after what the stuff he put himself in, and you know, it's not like he was a victim. He's the one who told guys to take out ACLs, but still, he did come back and he's done a great job. But that guy can't be your head coach. I don't. I mean, again, unless they go out and win the Super Bowl, I, I just think that that would be a terrible look. Okay, Ken, let's do picks this week. So, uh, starting with college football. Alabama at LSU, number one versus number three. For some reason, no one seems to think number three has any shot. I think they're a double-digit underdog at home in Death Valley. Uh, Kendall, Alabama or LSU, who you got? Oh, this is easy. Alabama, double digits. This is LSU. LSU's not a bad football team, but, I mean, I've gone on record multiple times saying Tua Tungawailoa going to go down as the greatest college football quarterback I've ever seen play. And that doesn't stop this week in Baton Rouge. Uh, I've got Alabama. I'm going to go Alabama 42, LSU 20, LSU 17. Oh, wow. You no, have... LSU 20, 21. LSU 21. So you just have just uh, a yeah, yeah, they they three touchdown, three touchdown win. Yeah, so you have them even covering the spread, which is 15 right now. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to say Alabama, but I'm going to say this is a game. I'm going to say this is their, their, their only game of the regular season. LSU has a real defense, man. Like, their defense is serious. Like, it's – I think besides Alabama, it might be the second-best defense in the league in the country for my money. And I think that Alabama – look, I know they've they make decent teams look terrible, but I don't think they've really played anyone that can compete with them on any level. So there's going to be a change, I think, in just attitude and just uh, and just the way they approach the game and the way the game is going to be played this weekend. Uh, the only team I think they've played that was even remotely on a competitive level was Texas A&M, and they beat them by 22 at home. But everyone else, they either had uh, easy home games or they were on the road at Arkansas and at L- Oklahoma Miss. Two games, two teams that cannot compete. They have no chance. LSU, at least on one side of the ball, can compete. I think that they will compete defensively. I don't think Tua will be just Heismaning on them all night. I just don't know how LSU scores. I don't know how they move the ball. That's going to be the issue. Uh, I think this is going to end up being maybe kind of a low-scoring game. Like I can see this being like a 20-6 to kind of game. But I don't think that Alabama's going to run over LSU the way everyone thinks they will. I think this actually will be competitive, albeit maybe not the most fun game to watch. Uh, Let's go now to the NFL. Let's talk about uh, Steelers at Ravens. Ravens at home. They're kind of in the middle of the pack, 4-4 Steelers. Um, Steelers are kind of a weird team. 4-2-1. I guess they're kind of right in the ship, but we kind of don't know what to make of them. Uh, and where they kind of rank with the Chiefs and the Steel and, and the uh, and the Patriots, this will be a good test this week. Uh, who you got, Kendall? Big division rivalry. Uh, I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the Steelers in this one. I feel like uh, they're kind of getting their their bearings back. Um, you know, James Conner's playing good football. Uh, they've kind of moved on from the whole Le'Veon Bell controversy. Uh, I think the Steelers win this one uh, on the road in Baltimore. Um, I'm going to go with the Ravens here. Uh, I think that the Ravens need this game uh, more than the Steelers probably do. The Steelers are playing much better ball, but I'm I'm not convinced they're out of the woods yet. They beat up on the Browns. uh, They beat the Bengals, and uh, they beat the uh, the Falcons win three in a row. But I think that the Ravens always seem to play up when they're playing against the Steelers. You know, the Steelers have kind of dominated this matchup in recent years. I expect the Ravens to be able, that defense, to, to play up. I expect them to maybe uh, get some turnovers and uh, slow down that running game. Like you said, James Conner has really been running the ball well. So I'm going to say the Ravens win a, a fairly close game, low-scoring game as well here, because they gotta have it. They lose this one, uh, they're in I think rough shape. That means that they beat uh, three games back in the loss column, which I think is curtains for them in terms of trying to win the division. No pun intended with steel curtain. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about the Rams at Saints? This is probably one of the best games of the year. I think it's the best game we've had since uh, since that Chiefs Saints Vikings last week. <laughs> yeah, was that great for you? I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it's Chiefs Patriots, but uh, the Saints—they maneuvered a tough schedule to be only have one loss, and the Rams, of course, are undefeated. So, um, what do you got in this one? Uh, I'm gonna go with the Rams. 
Rams pick up a uh, big time defensive end and, and uh, Dexter Fowler. They'll be riding, uh, have a little bit of momentum off that deal. And I don't know, Rams are a very tough team. They're not going to go undefeated. Uh, I think at some point we'll have to introduce that, that topic of will the Rams go undefeated this year? Yeah, but, no, right. We're um, halfway there, almost halfway there. After this yeah, week. we're halfway there, but uh, no, I, I don't think they'll go undefeated, but I also don't think this will be the week they go down. The Saints put a lot of energy into that win they put in. They got last week, which was not an easy win. Uh, I think they come back slightly down to earth this week. Doesn't mean they're not a great team, but I don't think they're going to then go out and dominate L.A. next week. Uh, I think this is the Rams' first loss of the season. I think the Saints win this week. Um, I think the Saints, in some ways, are a good matchup for the Rams because the Saints are unorthodox offensively. They don't require deep dropbacks. So that pass rush that just got bolstered with Dexter, with Fowler doesn't become as much. Uh, Dante Fowler isn't doesn't come as much of a of a. I almost did. Yeah, I was very close. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it doesn't come as much of a of a of an issue for the for for Drew Brees because they get rid of the ball so quick. They also throw a lot to Kamara, who could set up mismatches. And of course, one of the strengths of the Rams are their strong corners. So, I think that the Rams are gonna the the, the Saints are gonna find ways to kind of get the Rams in a position they really haven't been in in terms of coverage. And uh, I think that they they'll be able to run the ball pretty well from keeping them off balance. And we know what the Superdome is like uh, for big games like this. I think that that place is going to be rocking. Uh, I think it's the biggest, toughest road test that the Rams have faced. I think that they will fall this week in a close game, but I got the Saints at home. Um, Let's go on to the last game of the week. And this is, boy, this is a heavyweight fight we got here as well. Um, We got the Packers. Aaron Rodgers heading to Foxborough to face Tom Brady and the Patriots. We've talked for a lot of these recent years about who was the best quarterback in the game, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. The debate will not be settled in this game, but it will be a fun matchup to watch this week. Michael Jordan's even gotten involved. Heiken, have you seen that ad that he did? Oh, that's a... That's that's an all-time great for the year at Sportsnet. Yeah, I agree. That's an all-time ad to me. Um, I'm watching this thing. I had no idea that anything to do with football when I when I saw it on my phone. Yeah, I I, I realized when I like because I I, I I found out about it you know when LeBron tweeted about it and everybody lost their minds and oh Jordan LeBron oh here we go but yeah yeah that was a great yeah, the way he's the same number you know different errors how are you going to compare well let's put it let's let's let's, let's test it out one on one and I'm like. What is no Jordan really lost his mind? <laughs> he think he can go against LeBron. Then I see Rodgers and Brady. I'm like, oh wow, yeah. Well, this is also a great commercial and a great matchup one on one for the goat. Um, Kendall, who you got in this one? Uh, I think the Packers win this one. Wow. I hate picking the Green Bay Packers, but uh, I don't think they'll. I don't think they like the stench of what happened last week. I think they turn it around this week. On the road, I think Rodgers puts on a spectacular performance. Well, Ty Montgomery is no longer around, so they don't got to. They can't blame. Yeah, him. I'll get to that guy. Later. <laughs> they can't blame him for what happened on Sunday. Um, we're in agreement here. Uh, that sucks because that's like. Well, no, we we were we were off on the uh, 
on the game, the last game, the Rams and uh, and Saints. But yeah, I agree. I think the Packers are going to win this one. I think that there's a, there's a little concern that they, you know, they shot their best shot at the Rams, and do they now have enough against the Patriots? But the Patriots look kind of mortal in that game against the Bills in a way that was not expected in my eyes. If the Bills had any kind of offense, they could have won that game. Um, but I think the Packers, the Packers, if there wasn't, if it wasn't a one week wonder, they look like a team that may be kind of starting to figure out who they are with the way they played against the Rams. And I think the Patriots are still trying to figure that out. And I think that the Rodgers, I think that team will be amped up for this kind of game, uh, knowing that what it means and knowing that having just faced the Rams, that they could play with anybody in the league. And I don't think the Patriots are. I think they're considerably worse than the Rams. So I got the I got the Packers winning a close game. I hope it's a classic because uh, Ty Montgomery ruined that game for me. That last one that was ridiculous what he did. So um, I'm going with the Packers as well. Tough road win, but I got it, them pulling it out in Foxborough. Okay, Kendall talked about who's flamed, who is trash. I'll let you go first. What do you got for this week? Yeah, so who's flame DJ? Go my boy Luka Doncic. Make this one quick. He's uh right now currently EJ averaging uh twenty points per game. Uh, I believe he's also averaging I wanna say six assists and four rebounds. Mm-hmm. Or it might be reverse. It might be six rebounds, four assists. But nonetheless, Luka Doncic has been balling, just dropped thirty one on the San Antonio Spurs last game. Um it's it's not really a shock to me. Um, I said on many occasions this all season. I don't know if I said it on the show, but I I, I remember telling our brother Henry that uh, my bold prediction for the year would be that Luka Doncic would very much be in the All Star game conversation. And I mean it's early. It'll, I, at some point, I think he will hit a rookie wall and the numbers will drop. But uh, if the All Star game were today, he would have a shot at making it. But um. Yeah, it just goes to show you that you know when you're Euro League MVP and you've been doing what he was was doing over in Europe, the speed of the game hasn't affected him that much. Um, he's basically doing the same things he was doing in Europe, and he just I don't know. It's again, it's like I hate to be like you know I saw this coming because. I, you really did. I really didn't know what he's going to look like playing in the NBA, but this is everything that I've envisioned as a best case scenario for him. Right. Like I don't know. I can't imagine him being any better than he is now. And this is what he is. Is a guy. I mean, he's averaging twenty points a game. He's probably the best player on the Mavericks, um, and he could probably shoot more uh, if he wanted to. But. Yeah, yeah. I would say that Luka Doncic uh, was certainly flamed last game against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, as opposed to trash, I mean, I'm sure from a Packers fan's perspective, he, this guy is trash. Um, on my side, as a Vikings fan, he's flames. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to name your guy Ty Montgomery, EJ, because Ty Montgomery, obviously, if you saw what happened, um you know, the Packers were going to get the ball back in a very opportune position uh, and a chance to pull off a pretty major upset. Going to give Aaron Rodgers two minutes to do so. 
And he decides, even though he was instructed to take a kneel and touch back, uh, that he was going to run it out. By uh, he was going to run it out himself because he felt like he wasn't getting enough touches, wasn't getting enough playing time throughout the game. Uh, he again, obviously, subsequently fumbled, um, and then the Packers went and traded him <laughs> a couple of days later to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, this Green Bay Packers team just find continues to find ways to uh, kick themselves in the foot, even when Aaron Rodgers is spectacular. And I don't know for that. I say Ty Montgomery is flames also. No trash. <laughs> uh, dual flames uh, for the Vikings fans for Kendall. For, for the rest of us, uh, Luka Doncic is flames. Ty Montgomery trash for Kendall. Kendall, for me, flames. I'm going with, of course, Clay Thompson, who was a certified flamethrower yeah. in that game uh, just a couple of nights ago. 50, what, 52 points? He had in three quarters. Yeah, just remarkable shooting. Set the NBA record, fourteen threes. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. This team, the Warriors, less than a week, two guys score at least fifty points in three quarters. With the way I tell you what, the way these teams are playing, I don't know how they think that they have any chance to play with the Warriors. They're all trying to play the speedball type of way, and the Warriors are gonna kill the, all these teams like this. You can't play the Warriors and think that you're gonna. This is gonna. This is gonna happen routinely. Like, they're going to routinely have guys put up insane numbers in these games if this is how they're going to try to play them. The Bulls learned the hard way. They gave up, and Clay Thompson made them pay. He said he was rocking the Jackie Moon headband, and that helped him <laughs> uh, That helped him fix his shot because he was struggling all year. And he had a historic night. So shout-out to him. He's flames for this week. And trash, I got to go with Jameis Winston. Um, Jameis... Not only did he throw four interceptions and almost tank my fantasy team this week, but he's also losing his job again to Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Kendall, it wasn't just like the interceptions, but it was how bad the interceptions were. I mean, he was just throwing it right to the Cincinnati Bengals on uh, on Sunday. And he looked like a guy who was lost. And that's uh, very alarming for a guy like uh, Jameis, who you hoped kind of would have turned a corner, um, coming off that suspension, he's played uneven all year. And last that game last night was just a really, uh, excuse me, on Sunday was a really, really bad sign. So uh, he's trash this week. I don't know. He's played his last game for Tampa Bay, as far as I'm concerned. And we'll see what happens with him uh, this offseason. But, man, that was a, a pathetic performance he put together on Sunday. All right, Kendall, let's get out of here. What's Kendall's court? Yeah, talked about uh, the Major League Baseball offseason, EJ. It's uh, right around the corner. Um, and there are a lot of major free agents that are on the uh, block, so to speak. Uh, I would say the biggest name, obviously, is that of Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. uh, who's all, he's going to be quartered by quartered courted by every major franchise in the uh, in Major League Baseball this offseason. Um, but other big name free agents include Manny Machado, uh, Craig Krimbrell, who we, who we mentioned earlier today as a potential Hall of Famer, and arguably the best pitcher in the game when it comes to the regular season, uh, Clayton Kershaw. I had to throw in the regular season caveat. 
uh, because we all know what happened to Chris Jordan in the postseason. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to run down uh, the top five teams, according to Vegas, in odds for each of these guys that I mentioned. Okay. First for Bryce Harper, uh, it's the Phillies, who are number one, followed by the Cubs, Nationals, Giants, Yankees. Uh, for Machado, it's the Phillies, one, Dodgers, Yankees, Marlins, Angels. For Kimbrel, it's the Red Sox, Braves, Cubs, Dodgers, Phillies. And for Clayton Kershaw, Dodgers, Rangers, Astros, Cubs, Giants. Giants? So, yeah, Giants. <laughs> I don't know, interesting enough. I don't know if I want Clayton Kershaw. I'll take him, but... Uh, Certainly, I, I I would take Clayton Kershaw only to piss off Dodgers fans. That'd be hilarious. But um, yeah, what do you make of this, CJ? Uh, as a Giants fan, again, I would love Bryce Harper. He's the guy I would go all out for. Mets surprisingly aren't on any of these lists. I wonder if that's going to change now that. Uh, yeah, you have your boy. Now that we got Van Wagen, and if if his comments made anyone feel differently. <laughs> I mean, in terms of these odds, uh, the Yankees are Yankee fans are convinced they're going to get one of these guys. The Phillies. <laughs> I'm in Philadelphia. Well, Philly also thinks that they're convinced they get one of these guys. They, some of their fans convinced they get all these guys. Yeah, so, so somebody's going to end up disappointed somewhere. Um, I tell you what, I think that the most interesting situation to me is going to be the Bryce Harper sweepstakes, obviously. Uh Philly and Chicago. Of course, Washington wants to retain them. That's a that's that's interesting. I think that both Philly and Chicago feel like if Bryce is right, he's the guy that gets them over the hump. Now, Bob Nightingale was on ESPN's Baseball Tonight mm-hmm. podcast, and he said that he heard that the only three teams in the race for Bryce Harper are the Nationals, Phillies, and Giants. So the Cubs aren't yeah. even in, in the in the picture for him. Now that's <laughs> now some people are, are questioning Bob Nightingale's <laughs> track record. Some right. people are like, "Well, that's great news for the Cubs, Dodgers, and Yankees." <laughs> right. Yeah. That's just what he's hearing. Um, if I were to bet money, I would put my money on the Chicago Cubs. Personally, I would too. I don't think. Also, I don't know if I don't know if Bryce Harper in Philadelphia is a great match. I don't think it is at all. I mean, we you know Philly, I know Philly. It's is blue collar as it gets. Mike Trout would be perfect, but that's not happening. But man, Bryce Harper is he doesn't he's not he doesn't act Hollywood, but he plays Hollywood. And right. I don't know if they're gonna put up with that stuff if he's struggling. <laughs> or they're really gonna pull him through the way Washington has held him down despite his struggles. Uh, you know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the greatest fit, mentality wise, personality wise, uh, baseball wise. I get it. Obviously, I, I do think that if they get him, them the Braves now become one and one A in the East, and it becomes a real race. But any chance Kershaw's pitched his last game with the Dodger? That would be crazy to me if that's the case. I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh. But I don't know. It's tough for me because with him, it's like if he leaves, to me, it would be like, well, you're like it, 
it's kind of like Durant, where it's like, well, you're admitting that you can't get it done unless you join one of these teams that's beating you. Because those are the only teams he's really going to go to. To me, I yeah. mean, uh, I, you know, I know he's got the Texas ties, but he ain't going to Houston. Uh, he ain't going to uh, to Texas, to the Rangers. Um, so Houston is the only team I think that would make sense, or the Cubs, and those are teams. Or if he goes to the Giants. No. Yeah, or the, those are te- all teams he lost to, or teams he yeah. battles with, who who have won that he where he hasn't won. So I I, I can't see him making that move. Um, the Machado thing's gonna be crazy too, because whenever you have a like the Machado, Machado and like Harper, interesting because like you have like big market teams trying to retain guys like that's when the sweepstakes get crazy because the money can end up being like just like it could be a blank check basically like when we end up seeing what this dollar amount's going to be because i think la and washington both know that they have like they have to retain these guys i mean maybe la is not as desperate for machado considering that they're still a very young team and if they at least retain kershaw they still should be one of the top teams in the National League, but especially for Washington, like if it's Harper's gone, it's over for them. Yeah, which means that these, the money that we see in these deals, as the price gets higher and higher and higher, it could end up being massive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there. The one team that we didn't see on, or at least I didn't see on any of those lists besides Craig Grimble was the Red Sox. I guess they feel like we'll say we'll be complacent this offseason. Stand and, but and, and if we known anything about the Red Sox, though, is that they're kind of like the Yankees. They don't do that very often. Yeah, no, nah, even if they win, they like, they, who's the next guy? They still go get? for the juggler, yeah. And I, I'd like that they're like that, man. Because I mean, how many years they let the Yankees just kind of do whatever the hell they want in the free agency, kind of like, you know, kind of tippy-toe their way through free agency and ended up losing out on guys. I saw them do that with Alex Rodriguez. I saw them do that with Mark Teixeira. They thought both of those guys were going to be Red Sox. Like, they thought it, but, like, they tippy-toed through those deals, kind of weren't sure what they wanted to do, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> those guys were Yankees. Like, Boston, ever since those two deals, they've not been that way. They just go for it, uh, just like the Yankees do. So, I would not be surprised at all that some big name ends up in Boston. That maybe he's not a free agent that's on this list, but it could be a guy in a trade or something. that Because we know that, there's a good chance the Yankees are gonna do something. If it's not Machado or Harper, if they can't get those guys for some reason, somebody's going to New York. They're gonna bring in someone. And the Red Sox counter this year with Martinez, I think they'll counter again if the Yankees make them uh make them make that kind of move. So the hot stove season, it should be a good one this year. It's been kind of again, kind of uh kind of kind of lame the last few years. I think that this is gonna be exciting. So I'll be uh paying close attention but i think that's a good place to wrap the show guys so thank you guys for listening in to this episode of new generation sports talk podcast we'll be back next week with more sports talk expect a lot of college basketball talk next week the season gets underway we have some tip-off games happening next tuesday so uh so we should have a lot of fun stuff talking about that you know that's kendall's number one sport so this should be a great show make sure you guys tune into that one um be sure to follow us on the New Generation Podcast Network on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at New Generation Pod, on Instagram at New Generation Podcast, and on uh, Facebook, New Generation Media. 
Follow me on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart and on Instagram at Action EJ. That does it for now. We'll be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Peace.